Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. Happy New Year to everyone out there that's listening. Uh, this is C. Travis Webb. I'm editor of the American Age, and I'm talking to Seth Rodney and Stephen Fullwood. Hey. Gentlemen. Happy New Year to y'all. I'm Seth Rodney. I'm speaking to you from the Boogie Down Bronx. I'm an editor at Hyperallergic and an adjunct faculty member at Parsons School of Design. I'm happy to be here. Yay. Woo. Yes. (laughs) Happy New Year, everyone. This is Stephen G. Fullwood. I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, a company that specializes in your archival needs. And I am coming from coming to you from Harlem, and I am very happy to be here today. This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of uh, what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which means that we give each other the space to kind of work through ideas together. And we decided at the close of last year that we were going to try a a new format uh, with the podcast, Uh, meaning it's something that we had uh, toyed with early on when we were first talking about uh, doing a podcast, and that is we're going to stay with some ideas, themes, and topics for a longer stretch of time, not each individual podcast. Each individual podcast will still be about 30 minutes. Uh, But going forward, we will do multi-part episodes on the same topic until we feel like we've covered the topic or explored it um, sufficiently, or I guess maybe just get tired of talking about it um, and and want to move on to something else. That doesn't mean that we won't break in with something topical. If something topical happens Mm -hmm. in the news, it's always possible, of course. But but we'd like to give... uh, Seth was actually uh, the one who kind of steered us in this direction, you know, said that the medium could bear... Uh, a little bit more in-depth uh, exploration on our part, which you know I, I agree with, and I'm very happy to accommodate. So, do you guys have anything to, that you want to say about the new format, or before we jump into it? <laughs> you don't have to. It's not you don't have to say, have to say well, anything about I wanna, it. I want to. I want to say one thing. I think that Stephen introduced, um, uh, essentially, uh, introduced us to new material for the conversation today. And I think mm, it's, a really yes, good, very important. it's a really good start um, because Stephen has done some, I think, really considered exploration of pornography, what it means for us, how it um, impacts us um, um, mentally, emotionally, mm-hmm. physically. I think that this is a great place to start a good long conversation because Mm -hmm. it is a topic that frankly doesn't get a lot of airtime um, and doesn't get a lot of serious consideration so i'm glad that we're starting off the new year this year this this way this feels like us to me okay yeah yeah i actually i I appreciate that that you said that stuff i mean one of the things that is true of the the old podcast is it's not that i mean so we each um, between us uh have read for decades, Mm. but we did not necessarily be on cursory preparation, prepare for the podcasts other than to sort of, you know, draw on our own, you know, sort of years of reading. Mm -hmm. And that's something we're going to change up. So we're going to be, we're going to read a little bit more deeply before each week's episode. So, uh, because, you know, we want to do the listeners the courtesy of knowing what we're talking about. Yes, so, yes, indeed. Fantastic. Um, having informed opinions. Right. So as Seth said, pornography. So Stephen, we, we came up with this idea mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get some clicks. As people say, oh, pornography, I want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or listen to people talk about that. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, 
So uh, I thought I would just use, uh, Stephen, some of the questions that you sent. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're not going to get to all of these in this podcast, Mm -hmm. but this was, you know, kind of the framing for what we're doing. And um, you said pretty straightforwardly, what does pornography tell us about us, Mm -hmm. meaning ourselves as probably Mm -hmm. social creatures, as biological creatures, Mm -hmm. as men and women, wherever identities lie? Mm -hmm. Uh, How could porn inform distort, free, or constrain, and what are the prevailing assumptions about pornography? Mm. So I thought those were pretty, I mean, they're broad, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, and and we'll narrow in on that. So um, I don't know, Stephen, Steph, one of you guys want to kind of lead us into some of the stuff we read and and, uh, maybe some framing questions for today's conversation about pornography? So, yeah, I, um, if you don't mind, Steph, Mm -hmm, please, please take this. So Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I actually sent five um, articles. Mm -hmm today that I knew that we wouldn't be able to get through, but I thought they were a nice sort of mix of the different prevailing attitudes about pornography. And the very first article that I think is really interesting is why porn should be studied as a health issue. Yes, fascinating. Um, by Emily Rothman, who's a teacher, mm-hmm. researcher. Uh, and so one of the things I thought w- sort of important, just in 2016, April 21st, which oddly was the day that Prince died, Mm. Utah um, <laughs> passed two um, two bills on pornography, really. And I thought they were really interesting because um, Gary Hubert, the governor of Utah, he said that certainly the intent here is to raise awareness and understanding about the addictive nature of pornography and the harmful effects it has on individuals, families, and societies in general. Now, I've heard this all my life about pornography, that it was a, a, a terrible thing for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. But... But to this, um, to Emily, um, Emily's uh, Rothman's point, there is a, um, she quotes this article or provides it in her essay. It's a New York Times piece that in lieu of a lack of public, public education about sex in the schools, abstinence only is what's being taught. So pornography becomes... Uh, by default, sort of the, an education. The de facto rule. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to know what you guys thought about that, if it was something mm. that you could either speak on personally or just, you know, mm. your thoughts about in lieu, in um, the de facto education would be pornography. What is that? Like, <laughs> so I, the first, the, the first, very the first thing, I just have a, a sort of a, a quick response and I'll let Seth jump in. The first thing I thought of, because this is a question she explicitly asks, is, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like, Watching pornography to figure out how to fuck is sort of like watching superhero movies and learning how to fight crime. <laughs> like, it just, like, it just, like, yeah. it's just, it's, it's total nonsense that that these that this form would be used to educate people about like sort of reasonable expectations about what one can do mm-hmm. in the bedroom and what your partner can do in the bedroom. So as far as, uh, you know, that, I don't have much to say. I mean, I have other things to say, but on that particular topic, using it as an educational resource, I mean, what a fantastically terrible idea. Well, okay. <laughs> I want to I wanna jump in uh, and very vociferously push back against that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I do want to say that, um, given the kind of well, first on a personal note, um, to be anecdotal for just a second, I grew up in a, and you you both know this story very well. Grew up in a very mm. religious household. I was made to feel guilty about w- being lascivious or desiring other people's bodies mm. um, mm-hmm. from as long back as I can remember. 
Um, and in fact, there was a moment, <laughs> this is very Freudian. There's a very telling mm -hmm. moment when I was in, in the car, when I was in Jamaica, um, where, I was, where I was born. And I remember riding back with my mom and dad in the front, my sister to the right of me in the back seat. And at some point, and this had very much to do with the issues between my mother and father. At some point, I remember my mother saying something like, um, some, they were arguing, and she said something like, blah, 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 and you pull down skirt. And the, uh, the insinuation, and she was speaking in the patois, but the insinuation was that, that it was something dirty. To like pull down mm -hmm. a woman's skirt was something dirty, something untoward, something. And I felt she was, in that moment, talking to me. Mm. So mm -hmm. I immediately internalized that as like me having done something bad. Mm. So that kind of informed my uh, sort of approach to to porn and to um, and to sex. I think for a long time, and maybe mm. maybe who knows? Maybe I'm still working through that. But what I do mm -hmm. think is true at the same time is that especially for and I and I hear I'm going to get particularistic. I'm going to say. If you're watching amateurs porn, if you're watching people mm -hmm, who, are, mm -hmm. who are not in the sort of um, gilded mansions and not with like the expert lighting um, going at it, I think there's a moment as, as, a, as a young person where you actually don't know what your body can do. You don't know what other bodies can mm -hmm. do. And I mm -hmm. think actually watching those things can be somewhat informative. Just... So you have a sense of, oh, this might go here, and this might look like this, and this right. might fit mm -hmm. my, my the kind of like shape of my kind of developing desire. Like just in a sort of base, um, I didn't know that when I put my finger in a girl's thing that that makes her feel happy. <laughs> like, you know, that kind okay. of thing. Like I just, I want to, <laughs> I, I want to say that, Certainly, porn is not, it is not a great educational tool. But I think that in terms of like just starting off at a certain age, maybe it helps. Maybe. Let's see. I think it is an educational tool. Not a great mm, one, mm, but an educational tool. And mm. since Travis threw himself on the ground earlier, I'm going to offer him a hand and lift him up. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm, willing to defend, I'm willing to defend my position, and, actually. So you, you don't need to help and me Seth, and, I'm, and Seth, <laughs> no, just the way you did, no, no, no. And I'm just like, well, you know, there's redemptive value in everything, you know? And I really, so I'll add to what Seth said in terms of just, Knowing what your body, you know, maybe discovering what your body can do, what you like, what you don't like, mm -hmm. being able to see a body or see bodies in um, that kind of way, mm -hmm. um, you're not going to see that anywhere else. You might see it, some soft stuff on Dynasty or what have you, but it's still not the act itself. And it's like I said, it's awful instructional, and it's a cultural artifact for me because I think it tells us a lot about who and what we are and what we think we are and what we'd like to be. Hmm. But I agree, I completely agree with you, learning how to fight crime by watching superhero films. Bad idea. <laughs> so your, your analogy is, but I just feel like he can't be tossed away. And I think that it's often a red herring for other things that people need no, to think I, about. 
So yeah, so I was I was mostly being glib. I, mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> it's not that I don't think that it gets used in productive ways. That pornography could be used in in productive ways for people that mm-hmm. aren't exposed to sex education or don't have that kind of relationship with their family mm-hmm. or have you know close siblings or whatever to talk through that stuff. It's not, it, not at all, or mm-hmm. or even a. Uh, a generous and open partner that you can work through that stuff with because mm-hmm. you can figure that th- you can figure those things out, right? Mm-hmm. You don't well, clearly, have to see yes. it. Yeah, not clearly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be seen or watched or dramatized in order mm-hmm. to be able to figure it out with another person. Um, you can, mm-hmm. you know, explore one another's bodies it just in in Congress with another person mm-hmm. without having to to see it demonstrated. Mm-hmm. Now, and but that's not a reality for a lot of people, and I understand that. And, and that's not that's not exactly what I meant mm-hmm. by by sort of um, I, I just meant it's unfortunate when the only access that um, teenagers have to um, understanding how sex works, mm-hmm. uh, what sort of uh, what things are involved in <clears throat> the sexual act, what sort of scenarios, mm-hmm. uh, what sort of scenarios lead to sex mm-hmm. that that the the primary tool in a place like Utah, or even maybe for most of the United States, for people in the United States, because we're a particularly prudish society in many, weirdly mm-hmm. contradictory ways, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's yeah. just really weird yeah. how, I mean, we're so bound, I mean, we're still Puritans at heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. And so, mm-hmm. and so, you know, we're titillated by these things, but at the same time, we want to sanction them, and you know, we can't see Janet Jackson's breast, and just all these, you know, like, just mm-hmm. all this like, nonsense. Mm-hmm. And so, I I appreciated, I, I appreciated this, the seriousness with which we need to treat pornography as a public health issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm saying that using pornography that way is deeply problematic. Mm. And, and I do, and, and I will, to try and be, to, to spur a little bit more uh, disagreement, mm-hmm. I, think that, I think that Mormon Utah is on to something in that w- do we really want to accept pornography from every other human practice which is which is potentially addictive i mean every other every other sort of intensified distilled symbolic creation that we have whether it be uh heaven hell uh mcdonald's food right uh, if if every other if every other symbolized thing that our imaginations can produce mm-hmm can lead to addictive behavior and unrealistic expectations and dissatisfaction with the ordinary. Doesn't pornography do the same? Doesn't it potentially do the same thing? Hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. Okay, so as I mull on that, I want to also suggest, um, and this is sort of ending, in my head it started turning into a tennis match, like on one side of the net, I do think Mm, that mm -hmm. on one side of the argument that... um, Pornography is a terrible educational tool. I do want to say this. It occurred to me as you were speaking, Travis, that one of the, thing, one of the things that pornography tends to leave out, no, almost always leaves out, um, is the emotional side. I think that people mm-hmm. don't get a sense, and this is, this is one of the glaring failures for me. People don't get a sense of how um, someone, I think it was Cameron Diaz's character in 
um, Vanilla Sky, which is a remake of the, the, the Spanish film um, um, Open Your Eyes, I think, um, which is much better, by the way. But she says something in that film to the um, Tom Cruise character that really stuck with me. Um, uh, she said, your body makes a promise when, 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 you, when you're intimate. And I, mm -hmm. think there's a, I think there's a way in which our bodies make promises to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that we actually, on some deep, deep level, believe that in that promise. And if you don't kind of figure out what that promise means to you, then you, it can, you, one can be really hurt. One can be really d deeply disappointed. Um, I think that we don't talk enough about the kind of emotional bonds that are made fashioned in the sexual act. Um, mm. even, even if they're not necessarily deep ones, there's still a kind, I think, there's a kind of promise. Now, as far as um, uh, Mormon Utah being onto something because the, the behavior might be addictive, or rather the sort of curiosity around bodies, seeing them demonstrate this mm -hmm. very, it's very seductive, profoundly erotic act. Um, maybe, maybe. Um, I just, um, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Um, oh, just to be clear, mm -hmm. totally against any sort of regulation of pornography and definitely am pro. Um, I mean, honestly, in what I saw in the article mm -hmm. was her essential argument is if you are going to if you are going to block every avenue with which you're going to educate students mm -hmm. about the sex act, you are you're de facto pushing them towards pornography. Right. But it, the, the, mm -hmm. the end result is that you're driving them towards these what I would say are, are unrealistic um, uh, scenarios. No, absolutely. And so I think it, the idea of eradicating anything is, it seems to be, um, it seems to be ridiculous. It mm -hmm. seems like mm -hmm. all it does is sort of drive it, not drive it underground, but make it even more seductive and more um, desirable. Mm -hmm. And there are different kinds of pornography. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, like Rothman, I'm neither anti-porn or pro-porn, I'm interested in what it does and what it mm -hmm. says about us. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that this, I'm not completely sure there's not an emotional thing going on with porn in terms of watching it, maybe, okay. mm -hmm. um, the scenarios being demonstrated. Because, you know, porn sort of started out, I mean, forever. So it kind of depends on the regulations of that society and what they consider porn. Right. But some of the earlier 70s films were very arty. <laughs> mm -hmm. They were very mm. art, so it wasn't mm -hmm. like Caligula, right? That was a, I wouldn't say Caligula, but that no, no. I'm actually talking about the ones that look like art films, that look like student films. They mm -hmm. they had more of a um, a less of a sheen and a mm -hmm. less of a um, the Devil and Mrs. Jones or Deep Throat. Mm -hmm. They were more um, thought. No, they were more thoughtful. They had more thought going into them. And then there was that. They told us something about that time. Mm -hmm. And so that's the document that we, I like the fact that Rothman teaches it, but tells the students beforehand there's going to be nudity and they don't have to actually look at pornography to benefit from the class. And that she's trying to look at it. She didn't say it this way, but I was thinking it holistically. And I think that having a healthy conversation about it, 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 it's, it's so necessary because we do live in a very weird society where we're sexualizing kids and, mm. and they're having makeup on, but at the same time, don't touch those kids. Those kids right. are off limits. Right. And it makes complete sense because, but it's it's a capitalist sort of thing working at people's own 
emotional, mental, physical, sexual development. It's working mm-hmm. in weird ways, in hypocritical ways, in mm-hmm. um, very profoundly weird ways. Mm-hmm. So why is it uh, why is it capitalist? Meaning that people can make money off of both children being models, people making money off of pornography. This kind of thing. So if you can make money off of it, I think what drives pornography is not simply a desire to see it, but it's it's that it you know well in, in years ever since the internet it's been kind of going down. It people are paying want to see these things, mm-hmm. yeah, and they so want I, to absorb and to you know to um, consume them. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I think yeah yeah I, no I was just gonna say that uh, everything that you said I'm I basically am on the same. Mm-hmm. Page with I think as far as I followed it, uh, mm-hmm. the only thing I, I, I have a knee jerk reaction uh, that I think is uh, valid when it, so pornography is much deeper than capitalism, right? Pornography oh, no, has been around. I, I completely so, agree with you. Mm-hmm. So I I don't all that all that capitalism. Do, uh, this is too that's too heavy handed. One of the things that capitalism does with with pornography is it sort of intensifies and distills something that is is in place. The Stephen Snyder article that you sent around, which mm-hmm. is that where they basically he was he was um, uh, uh, positing that mm-hmm. yeah that that essentially pornography uh, had um, some kind of evolution must have had some kind of evolutionary function. Right. Me, me, no, I'm sorry, it wouldn't have been called pornography, but right. sex in public, hu- female yes. voc- vocalization, yes. copulative vocalization. And definitely looking at it, you know, yes. and being, yeah. a, and, yes. you know, yeah, I thought that was amazing. So, I enjoyed that. So social primates, females vocalize um, and, and that this draws <laughs> other members of the species like, oh, what's that monkey doing? And right. so they go and they look or whatever. And, you know, he, he suggests that that must have had some sort of evolutionary function. Stephen, you're... you're yeah, did either of you pick up on him not saying that, you know, men, I guess men are silent, you know? <laughs> At one point, yeah, I was, like, I was wondering oh, about that. Oh. Yeah. And I was, I like, was wondering about, about that too. What about yeah. a guy? You know, so yeah, yeah. I was thinking, that was interesting to um, yeah. sort of point yeah. out and not recognize that men also make noise. Right, and, and, yeah, and, and there's, there's a way in which that kind of um, characterization of the, of the copulative act um, um, is also... Like weirdly gendered, like obviously weirdly, because because there's a way in which, and I, I would actually go a step further and say it's a weirdly kind of patriarchal because it just assumes that men are just sort of stoic, sort of like, uh, oh, you know, they get it up and they get it done and they just kind of like, um, and okay, women are I'm the like, ones who are like, hysterical, oh my God, it's great. It's, oh, like, okay, <laughs> hard, hard, hard pause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should find out what the research is. Because right. it is definitely possible that I mean, in, it is definitely possible that women vo- that females, not women, females vocalize in a more intense way than males do, for very solid evolutionary reasons. Now that may not be the case, uh-huh. and this may be a bias in the article. Right. Mm-hmm. But 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 we so one of the things that we're doing this, yes. in, which I which I really appreciate about the format is we're not we're not leaping to ready at hand explanations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm, that true. that sort of fit our own intellectual biases because yes. we all have them. I agree. Mm-hmm. And I am so, I am absolutely making an assumption there. Thank you for calling it out. And yes, we need to do research on that and come back to that point. So I'm writing it down as we speak. Research on vocalizations to see women make noise, men do not. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) And 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 to just and to just round this out. So, so, the, and I'm forgetting his name, Stephen, but the person who wrote that piece um, about Stephen how, Snyder, yeah, mm-hmm. what? I think it's Stephen Snyder. Yeah. Okay, so Stephen. Yeah, Stephen Snyder. Piece, um, mm-hmm. 
he he um what he was getting at was that we like to watch because in some ways that can actually stitch the community together and the 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 real world not analogy but um evidence Mm-hmm. Is that bonobos act this way? From what I from what I've mm-hmm. heard, mm-hmm. that huh. that when there's friction among members of a close knit group, that one of the ways they work stuff out is by having sex. So mm-hmm. they, they the, the 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 sort of you know the alternative to like picking up a, a rock or a heavy stick and saying, okay, <laughs> um, I'm gonna work this shit out now this way, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. to say, all right, let's like figure out how to like exchange erotic energy, la la. So there's a kind of there might be. I mean, I don't, I don't know if this happens in the human community. That's a good question, I think, to ask mm-hmm. too. Whether, and maybe I can just actually just make it really anecdotal for the moment and just ask either of you: Have there been moments in your life? I'm I'm imagining the, the answer is probably yes. But you know, you Travis, you've been married to Molly for a while now. I imagine mm-hmm. that there have been moments in your relationship where like some things have occurred that are frustrating to both of you. And one of the ways in which you may have worked things out, um, and Stephen, feel free to, because to, to, I want to hear this, um, how this happens for you too. One of the ways you work things out is by engaging in some sort of sexual act. So for me, uh, I handle those things in what would be considered a stereotypical female way, huh. which is that when I am upset, I am no interest in sex okay. at all. Okay. Like none. Oh, yeah. I just, I, okay. I, have to, I have to process emotionally right. what's mm-hmm. going on. And okay. I need to come to, I need to work things out with myself or with her emotionally. Molly is the exact opposite. Whoa. So she, she very much processes things in what would be a stereotypical f- a male way, right? Mm-hmm. So what would be, t- so she would rather, for, uh, forgive uh, me, Molly, but she would rather fuck and be fine afterwards than <laughs> Oh, than Travis is going to get in trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, did Molly say you can say this thing? <laughs> so, uh, but I also yeah, want to hear so, all of it. So it's in our in our dynamic again, stereotypical, mm-hmm. you know, sort of predictable. What what you would assume. Uh, using standard narratives about what men and how men and women react were flipped. So, so Stephen, I think how about you? De- I think it depends on what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes a really good argument can turn into some really good sex. Mm-hmm. Or a really good argument can turn into some very terrible sex. Mm-hmm. Or a really good argument can turn into three days of not speaking to each other, just sort of grunting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you pick up the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, when, when you asked Seth, I mean, Travis, that question, I was thinking, like, when have I done that? And I was like, oh, it's been a, um, it's been a variety of things, you know. But I also want to mention with that Steven Snyder article that mm. there's something interesting about participation by voyeurism, you know, mm. watching something. Mm-hmm. I was in New Orleans for the first time in 1996, and I was in the fifth quarter, and it was for um, it was on the eve of um, uh, Mardi Gras, mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. people had cameras, and if I just happened to be in a way where there were some boobs, I was getting knocked over. And it was just that kind of, uh, that rush, that rush to see a boob. I said, they're just boobs, you know? <laughs> but no, they're boobs. And mm-hmm. I was struck by the, the look in the glaze, look in the guy's faces. <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah. And then yet another story very briefly is that there was a friend of mine he used to work with a couple years ago that told me that although he wasn't gay, he would totally watch gay people have sex. 
And I thought about it. And I was like, well, you know, I just, it made me think about what Steven Snyder's <laughs> kind of talking about, you know, this sort of, mm. you know, before doors, what were people doing? The sounds. What are they doing? Mm. What's going on? Are they having a good time? Or somebody mm. being hurt? Or someone crying? Someone laughing? Mm-hmm. That kind of communal thing that I think feels like it might have its its analogy in some of the things that we see guys and women do today, mostly guys, in terms of I, peep shows and, you know, sex parties and so forth. I wanted to say something that I want to have. Uh, let Seth have the last word, if, if that's if he would like that. Uh, so uh, I actually wanted to correct something that from an earlier podcast, because oftentimes after when we talk about stuff, I'll go and look it up and like, oh, is, was this correct? Did I make this assumption correctly? Or, and, mm-hmm. and we were talking about in the first conversation about pornography and uh, Seth, you had claimed that there was that you thought it uh, it might be nearly universal that sex takes place in privacy and what i'm i'm characterizing i'm i'm yeah. summarizing but yeah. essentially it takes place in private yeah. mm-hmm. and i said well i wouldn't jump to that conclusion blah 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 well it turns out i'm i'm you're probably right and i'm probably wrong really? uh, so donald brown who wrote uh, it's 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 starting to come back in vogue but he wrote a book called uh, human universals in which he explored a variety of what would be considered human universals. The book came out of vogue because of the kind of politics that are around anthropology now, which is that there are no such thing as human universals. It's all culturally determined, which I don't agree with. I just, I don't buy that as an argument. But but one of the things on the list, I wanted to say this up, and this actually backs up or constrains the horizon of what we're talking about. Mm. It appears that in human cultures, privacy during copulation is universal or essentially universal. Mm. Now, we can't know what happened, obviously, 20,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but something about social human, so, something about culture, mm. right, seems to constrain our sexuality or the kind of human culture that we have. So monkeys, you know, basically fuck in the open. Humans appear not to. Mm. And... Um, you know, it's probably a difficult thing to study as, you know, too deep in the past. But as far as uh, l- stages of development amongst cultures that we've come into contact with in the 20th, uh, in the 19th and 20th centuries, it's a, it's a private thing. Mm, so no wonder um, people are moved to imagine that this is a public health issue when it's made so publicly consumable. Huh. So, okay. So, so... Okay. The thing I think I want to end on is, is, is clearly this conversation has opened a lot of doors. And I'm glad yes. we chose this to talk about for the next several weeks because I think it's going to take us a while to really unpack a lot of what we just started unpacking today. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to that. I want to actually pick up, I want to suggest that we pick up, suggest that we pick up the conversation next week, uh, kind of where we left off. Because um, there's some dangling threads there. Like, what, if anything, are the educational possibilities of pornography? Or are we just, or do, are we taking it off the table? We're we saying, no, it's really not an educational tool. It's doing, it's doing something else. It doesn't necessarily rise to the level of being a public health crisis, but for these and these reasons. So maybe we could start mm-hmm. there next week. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Sure. Excellent. Okay. Um, all right, my friends. It was a great conversation. Indeed Fantastic. it was. Um, yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Cool. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.